It's good to have you, and uh, thank you, George. Um, let's make a start. We have a lot in our service this morning, so um, I thought I would start by looking at the front of the uh, service this time again, and uh, just to highlight this, the verse that uh, the boys and girls are learning in Sunday Special in K2. Um, they're looking at the, the theme of superheroes, and so the assignment that God has given them uh, is to trust him, I suppose, in that. Um, and this is a, ph- a phenomenal verse, isn't it? It's one that we often would use. Um, and I wondered, I mean, I was thinking about I, Jeremiah. I mean, he was a prophet who um, had a tough time. Uh, he lived in the time when the Babylonian superpower uh, was coming in from the north, and the Egyptian superpower was coming in from the south, and they were being squeezed politically, and uh, really they were not living as the people of God should, and God was warning them uh, through the prophet. So his life was tough, um, and really what he was saying was, you know, don't fight the Babylonians. Uh, Keep your faith and live with them. And the false prophets were saying something different. And, and the reason he was able to say that is because of this promise. And he wrote this actually in a letter to the exiles. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And I think where that's relevant for us in the sense is that because life can often be very difficult. And We often pray, don't we, that the difficulties will be removed, but sometimes and often they're not. So what do we do? And and a verse like this and the whole message of the Bible encourages us to know that ultimately God is preparing a place for us, that he has not abandoned us but given us the Holy Spirit, that he has left us with his word as a guide And he's really saying, I know the plans I have for you. may not look like it at the moment, but they're plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. And that ultimately, of course, lies in Christ and in heaven itself. So we're going to sing praise of the God that we trust in faith. And we're going to worship him in these words, bless the Lord. So we'll stand when we're ready to sing. Well, let us pray. Let us talk to God. We read in Hebrews 4, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Father, that is a picture of what we do As we speak with you, we come into the presence of a holy and exalted and control and a sovereign God. And we thank you for that. And Father, we thank you that even though you are exalted and beyond us and greater than us and removed from us, Father, we are able to come into your presence. And if that was all that we knew about you, Father, you would be distant and far away. But we know that you came in Jesus and that, Father, that you desired that we might come close to you. And so we're able to come with confidence into the very throne room of heaven. And, Father, you know how each of us have come this morning. Father, you know the troubles that we have in our work You know the troubles that we have in relationships. You know the weakness that we feel in our bodies. You know the sadness that we have had to endure and hear about this week. You know 
just the difficulties of life. And you're really saying to us, I desire for us to come and to be in your presence so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Father, so often we react to the difficulties of life with despair. We react to the difficulties of life by blaming you and others. We react to the difficulties of life by just giving up, not trying. We react to the difficulties of life, I think, at times by indulging in watching too much television, eating inappropriately, just not doing what we should be doing. And Father, we turn away from this source of grace and help. And so we pray that you will forgive us when we do that, and we're all guilty. But Father, we see you still desiring that we'd come. And I thank you for this opportunity that we have this morning to come and to talk to you. So Father, we pray that you will forgive us for our lack of relationship our lack of desire for relationship, and that, Father, that you will encourage us this morning with your love for us, seen on Jesus in the cross. Father, we thank you for your gifting of us in so many different ways, all the blessings that we have of, of work and of uh, houses and of transport and just the myriad of different ways that you've blessed us. We thank you for that. We thank you, Father, for these great hymns that we can sing, modern hymns and old hymns. We thank you for the gifting that you've given to Ricardo and to the, uh, the folks that play and sing alongside him. We thank you, Father, for all the good things that you have given us in this church. And so, Father, we pray that as we meet with you, that we will be encouraged and that, Father, that we will truly find grace to help us in our time of need, that we might be able to live and to live confidently, and to live well. And so, Father, we come as a needy people to a great God, and we simply ask that you will be with us in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, you'll see that we have uh, this time tomorrow, TTT, uh, -t -t, and I'm going to ask Joan if she will come up to the front. Um, and for those of you who don't know Joan, uh, you'll see her in a minute. So will you come to the front, Joan, to this point here, please? I'm sorry that we can't elevate Joan up a bit. Um, we maybe should have thought about that. So um, I presume you can look at that. You're good at that, Joan. Okay. Right. Hi. Is that on? Yes, yeah. right. So, so I'm going to ask Joan three questions. And uh, Joan, you have been instructed uh, and you answered in your, in your own way. Okay. So Joan, you've, you told me uh, that you were not always in a wheelchair. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, your disability and why you're in a wheelchair? Well, um, I was born and reared on a farm and uh, when I was four years old, I had polio, which uh, I was paralyzed totally except my right arm. But um, I recovered from that. And um, by the time I went to school when I was nine, not till I was nine. So my education was a little bit held back because of that. And then as in early teens, I went to secondary school, uh, boarding school. And um, I was there for some years. And... Uh, then eventually I trained in uh, radiotherapy, which is a branch of radiography, got a diploma. But um, although they said I'd be able for that, three years later I had to give it up. So I got a job in an office and uh, where I didn't ever want to work. But I, uh, anyone here who's maybe young people, you don't get what you desire. You will get something and you will work. You know. So um, I worked for 40 years. Uh, in receptionist and telephonist. So um, then I went to, yes, I went to work. That's basically. Okay, great. And wh what, at what stage did you go into a wheelchair, Joan? Well, uh, I was, of course, um, in a, a, a 
pram or a, or a push chair initially because I was only four. But um, in um, I gradually got rid of all my calipers and all the things I had, and I walked almost normally, like except with a severe limp. So um, then, in 19, not until 1995, I had to get a manual wheelchair, which I kept in the car and used occasionally. But uh, by uh, 2004, I had to get a power chair, and then eventually I had to get um, the house adjusted uh, so that I could use the wheelchair in the house. So that's really how I came to be in the wheelchair. I'm not that long in it. Great. Okay. Well, Joan, I suppose what we really want to hear as well, well, we, we want to hear all of it, but uh, can you tell us how you became a Christian and a follower of the Lord Jesus? Well, that was a, in a very unusual way. Um, we had relatives in England, and when I was in, just soon after I started secondary school as a boarder, um, my uncle thought that if I went over to England, I'd get better treatment for a little while. Now, looking back, I probably would have got it here, but however... I went over to England and lived with them for a year. And that's where I heard the gospel. So I, re I responded immediately and said, why didn't someone tell me before? Anyway, uh, I came back to boarding school, but I knew nobody, absolutely nobody in Ireland who, be, who was a believer. And it was rather isolated. My uncle wrote me letters to encourage me, but anyway, um, in the end, I thought to myself, maybe this is a funny little group with a queer idea or something. And I said, well, what do I really know? So I said, I know there's a God. So I prayed to God and I said, God, I can't go on without somebody else believing in Ireland. So if you give me a Christian friend, within three weeks, I'll believe. If not, I won't. <laughs> so anyway, within three weeks... I found a dear girl at the school who was a believer just near the end of the three weeks. And um, she'd only been a believer for three weeks, actually. <laughs> so from that on, I decided, right, God has kept his part. I keep mine. So I went on um, in the Christian faith and spread it amongst the girls in the school and all that kind of thing. But um, anyway... Um, that's how I challenged God. I, it wouldn't be right as an adult, but I was only a young teenager at the time. That's what I did. So then, um, one thing I noticed when I believed was that the Bible opened up. It just became such an important book, and everything in it was beautiful. I hadn't realized that up to that stage in my life. So, um, eventually then, when I, when I was in, when I was doing the training for the diploma in UCD, and I started going to Marion Hall where there was a youth club. My uncle told me there might be a club there. And I went there. And so I got in with the church there. I joined it. And I helped with the youth work for many years. And then eventually um, I was told to change my lifestyle. So I couldn't do it anymore. But the club actually was closing at that time for various reasons, nothing to do with me. So I asked the Lord then what I was to do instead. And he led me into Christian writing. And it's, it was particularly for radio is what I felt. So initially, actually, I, I wrote, I, it's a long story, but anyway, I wrote a bit of Bible drama for Commission in Belfast. And then I was at a conference and I was talking to missionaries and they asked me to do stories, Bible stories. So I started writing Bible stories in simple English, suitable for translation. And I did a lot of those, and then eventually that ceased. Uh, in the meantime, there was the Irish Christian writers, and um, I, was, I was joined that, and, and of course eventually then there was no one to lead it, only me. So I was in the Irish Christian writers, I still am. If anyone here that's Christian writing, please come to me and tell me you're doing and I'll be very happy to meet you. So, um, as well as that, in connection with the Irish Christian writers, I, I was in touch with United Christian Broadcasters, UCB, and the writers group, um, they presented a program of, they selected poems and that from the um, Candlestick, a little magazine we had. By the way, I was writing poetry since I was a child, so I have done some poetry, but I've done other things as well. So um, 
as well as this, uh, the uh, the polio survivors, we got we got really uh, to a certain level, and we had stayed at that level. But 25 to 40 years after polio, a condition comes in called post-polio syndrome, which means you lose ability again slowly, usually. So you go downhill. So then I first I had a stick, then I had, you know, then I had calipers, uh, you know. So it just went down, down, down all the time as far as physical was concerned. Still is. So um, I became very involved in the disability movement. Um, both um, uh, far too much in the, in the media, really, but um, years and years, really fully, and all that work was voluntary. I wasn't paid except for my job, so I worked nine to five and had my enjoyment in the evenings. Okay. Well, Joan, you give me a great illustration for uh, John fifteen four about remaining in the Lord and he will remain in you, but there you go. I'll, we'll think about that later. And lastly, can we, how can we pray for you, Joan? Thank you for sharing with us. But what, what can we pray for you for what you do, say, on Monday morning, and, and, and really that means in the rest of the week? Yeah. Well, um, I suppose I, the, the thing is that I, I need to keep it. I'd like to keep independent for as long as I can. That's one thing. Uh, the other thing is that um, I fall asleep very easily. Uh, I always have done. And I keep falling asleep in church. So if any of you are speaking and I'm nodding off, it's not that I'm not interested in what you're saying. In fact, one time, some years ago, I, I almost fell and I was standing up when I went to sleep. But um, I, I would like to be able to stay awake um, so that I can hear. But I'm hoping to get the um, notes on the internet from Sam and... Um, I, I think um, I, I have to say that the Lord has been with me every minute of the day. And has, I've had some beautiful answers to prayer. He is, he is faithful. He won't let us down at all. So I would encourage you to just progress and get to know him better day by day. Thank you. Great, job. Yeah, that's lovely, isn't it? And, and I mean, folks, just, just this is the beginning of a relationship. Let's keep talking to one another. Let's hear each other's stories. Um, and let's pray for one another. And we'll do that uh, more and more, hopefully. So let's turn to God's Word. Um, we're going to look at John chapter 15. Um, if you have it there, please... Uh, so boys and girls, Richard's going to come and speak to you in a moment or two. Um, but there are two very important words in this as I read it. Um, they happen a lot, actually. They're just everywhere all over this passage, and uh, you can be thinking about them if you can see what they are uh, as well. So this is a very well-known passage, uh, John chapter 15, verses 1 to 17, page 1083. This is God's Word. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you 
and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. Amen. And we thank God for his word. Well, boys and girls, I think you're mainly at the front, but Richard, come on ahead, of course. morning. Anybody else want to come up? I have a beautiful assistant. My beautiful assistant is my lovely daughter, Allegra. Allegra, will you sit on, actually sit on this side. Thank you. Well, we just read John chapter 15. Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. So, one of the words that was used in the verse is pruning. What does pruning mean? Who knows what pruning means? Matthias, you had your hand up first. It can also mean cleaning. Cleaning can also mean cleaning. What? Any, anyone have an idea about what pruning is, Miguel? Blooming. Blooming. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? Okay. Well, do you have an idea? Like, um, like when you have a rose or in the springtime you deadhead the flowers so that then new flowers can grow the next year. So you have a, you have a plant. I brought one of these, this lavender from the back. And you have a plant and you want it to be healthy. Now, last week was a little messy with a couple of chocolates. This is going to be a little bit more messy. So I'm just sorry about that. And unlike Andrew, I'm not going to clean it up. I'm going to get Allegra to do some of it, and <laughs> that's the way it is. Um, so so we, ha we have a plant, and we want it to be healthy. Now, the plant is in lovely soil, and it has its main root here. Uh, th this main root here is connected to the soil, and all these branches that are coming from this main root is supported by the main root. Now if I cut off, gardeners have tools just like everybody else and they like fancy tools like this. There's a secateur, secateur, and it's scissors for, 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 for gardens. So what a gardener does is he looks at, he looks at the, the he or she, looks at the plant or the tree and wants to trim off uh, part of it so that it will continue to grow. And as you can see, some of, these, so, some of these have flowered, and the flower is now spent. So by cutting it back, it makes it healthier. And it will actually grow really well if you cut it back. Now, this is really overgrown. I haven't done anything to it. I'm not a great gardener. I'll, I just I plant it in the soil. If it grow, I say, God, you're in charge. If it grows, great. Uh, if it doesn't grow, so, some of my some some of the uh, the older folks that that I that I live with uh, are always like, oh, you have to do this and you have to do that. And I'm like, God's gonna do it uh, because of it because if He doesn't do it, I'm just gonna kill it. Either overwater it, underwater it. I had several plants I thought about bringing, but then I thought, you know, you don't want to see dead stuff. So. So it actually needs, some, some plants need some really, some really healthy pruning and a hard pruning, and some plants need really light pruning. And you have to do it at the right season. And when you prune things back, and we're going to really prune this back, it produces fruitfulness. This plant will grow bigger and better by being cut back. And um, uh, Jesus paints this picture 
that we need to be always connected to Jesus, just like these branches are always connected to this main root. And we need to be pruned in order to stay healthy to God. And you know what? Pruning isn't a one-time thing. It's a continual thing. It's not just for kids. It's for adults, too. We're always being pruned. Now, what does it mean for us to be pruned? Well, physically, you guys get pruned in physical ways. Can you think of any ways in which you're physically pruned? What if I show you this? Now, some of the older people might have scissors for this. Do you guys know what that is? For fingernails. Now, your nails are really important for protection of your fingers and your toes. And if you don't keep them attended to, then they, then they can get brittle and break. Um, so you, so you, need to, you need to prune your fingernails and your toenails. And sometimes if you have big toes like me, you need a, a massive big yoke in order to do that. What else might you need to prune? Hair. Hair. Come over here to me, Mateus. <laughs> we need to prune our hair. Now, the fingernails, how many of you can do this yourself? You do it yourself? How many of you get somebody else to help you with it? Yeah. How many of you cut your own hair? Who cuts your own hair? I cut my own hair. Nobody else cuts their own hair? You do, Rowan? A little bit. <laughs> but most of the time, we need somebody else to cut our own hair. So. Other things of pruning, I, I need this. Prune some of this hair back there. So we need physical pruning, and that keeps us healthy. Um, we also get washed because we get dirty in the world, and we need to get clean. And so we need to go for a bath or a shower, and, and, and that gets all the dead cells off, and that's a way of physically pruning as well. Um, so pruning for our bodies produces fruitfulness. Our nails get stronger, our hair grows thicker and stronger. Um, I'd, I'd like to say it continues to grow in all places that you want it to grow, but not necessarily. Um, spiritually, we, we need to be pruned as well. So we learn about God, we learn about ourselves, and we learn about others. We learn about God at school, at home, uh, at school through the RE uh, curriculum if your school does that. At home, you might, you might learn, you might read the Bible with your, your family and discuss it, and, uh, and, and that's a way of pruning. I think you are doing a good job. Not too hard, not too hard. Okay. Um, and we learn about it here at, at church on Sundays. And God needs to prune us. We need to be pruned. We need to be pruned in our speech. We need to be pruned in our actions. And we need to be pruned in our thoughts. Um, kids and adults, we need pruning. For me, for speech, I need to be pruned of sarcasm. I like, I like to be witty. And sometimes I can be kind of sarcastic. And I need to be pruned of my sarcasm. Now, uh, this actually happened in college. And a couple, of, a couple of good Christian friends, two guys and myself, we would get together at lunch. And we would just rip each other to shreds with sarcasm. And then when somebody would come to the table and join us, we would just rip on them as well because we were having a good time. And we realized, you know what? Our sarcastic remarks to each other wasn't encouraging one another, wasn't building each other up, and it certainly wasn't, wasn't building up the person who sat with us. And so we needed to cut that off. God pruned that sarcasm from us. Actions, selfishness. Um, we can all be selfish. Oh, the things that we want are the things that we desire, and that needs to be pruned back. Thoughts, worldly ways, holding grudges, being legalistic. I need to stay connected to Jesus and be pruned regularly. It didn't just happen in college. It continues to happen every day. So pruning produces 
fruitfulness. Good fruit is a product of godly living, and living union with Christ is absolutely necessary. We always have to stay connected to the root. You guys have done a fantastic listening job. Thank you very much. We're going to sing our song and then be dismissed. And uh, crash as well. Crash should be upstairs as well. Uh, yeah, the, the downstairs is still out of bounds at the moment. Uh, so everyone's to go upstairs afterwards as well. If you have your announcement sheet, folks, we'll just quickly run through these. Um, now, next Sunday is the bank holiday weekend. Um, we're scheduled to look at John 15. I, my intention is to do that. Uh, it's uh, looking at uh, our, our love for the world, love for God. Uh, it is the Dublin City Marathon. Um, that will disrupt your ability to get to church. Uh, really, you shouldn't take your car in if you want to get home. If you want to come in and stay for the day and then go home, that's fine. You can come to church, go for a meal, do whatever you want to do. That, that would probably work, though you won't get beyond uh, Leeson Street Bridge probably. And, and it would be difficult. My advice is walk, cycle, or take, uh, you know, the Lewis, which is your best bet, really. Um, it, it has worked okay for us in the past, and I would really, if, you, if it's difficult for you, go to a church near you. Go to your local Bible-teaching church and encourage them uh, where, you, where you live as well. So we have prayer ministry as usual. Uh, you'll see in number three there that we have the elders have called a congregational meeting. We need to give you two weeks' notice of this. Uh, so that will take place on Sunday, the 3rd of November. Uh, there have been, uh, people have been, or two elders have left. Uh, some members have left as well over various issues. And we want to update you on that and have a discussion about that. So that is on thir uh, Sunday, the 3rd of November. The Living Well Group uh, meets on Saturday, the 16th of November uh, at 10.30 for 11, and the title is Living Well at Any Age, and that is open to everyone. There is no international cafe this Friday, the 25th of October, but international cafe then resumes on Friday, the 1st of November at 7.30. Uh, the Halloween bags, uh, the uh, children are making those up today. I'll be saying a little bit about these in my sermon uh, as, a, as an application. Uh, they have a positive message about the Lord Jesus uh, in this period. And if you would like some, there's an order form, I think, out on the, on the desk. And you can text Arthurville as well. Uh, Karen is organizing a November Nativity Knit and Natter, uh, two to four in the manse. And uh, you can, there's no date on that, Karen. Is Karen gone? Every Wednesday, does it say that? It does. Every Wednesday in November. Okay. Um, so do come to the manse if you would like as well. And then I have an, another announcement in there, and I'll have it in for next week, is that Stephen Cowan is back from Kenya, and we do have a link with Stephen, but it's very hard to get him to come and speak on a Sunday. Uh, so the only time that was available was Saturday morning. So we're going to have breakfast in the manse on Saturday the 2nd of November. And if you want to come, we'll feed you and it's more a chance for an informal chat uh, with Stephen and his work in northeast Kenya uh, with Angelina as well. And you're all welcome, and we'll, we'll deal with that whenever we see what happens. So I haven't, uh, if people, yeah, we'll, we'll deal with that. We'll think about it more later on. And then over the page, and I meant to start with this, uh, just to uh, say a really big thank you um, to, to God, of course, uh, and to all those who helped last Sunday uh, I hear really good things about Andrew's preaching, um, and it's encouraging, isn't it, to see how he's developed uh, both as a young man and as a preacher and a minister, and to Rosaline and her team of decorating, and to the welcome committee. I know that I came in late, but I still ate well. Uh, so thank you, everybody, uh, who helped in the harvest service. So as we prepare our, our hearts uh, to hear God's word, uh, we're going to sing this song. It's a new song, but we've been singing it a few times. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. And so that sense of dependence, uh, which is what the, the whole passage in John 15 is about. So let's stand, prepare our hearts, and praise God in these
words. Well, folks, if you do have your Bibles there, um, a bit not like me, I left my sermon down at the back there, uh, so I had to run and get it. But um, yeah, we're going to be looking at this uh, whole idea of love and fruitfulness. And I mean, when I asked the boys and girls to listen, uh, I think the, the words that came to me were the words remain and the word fruitfulness. And uh, you may be sick of Brexit, but I thought, you know, I love that picture, isn't it? Brexit not going well, is it? You know, <laughs> that's sarcasm, isn't it? Um, in a humorous kind of way. Um, and the whole idea of remain, of course, and I'm not going to speak about Brexit. Uh, we would love the UK folks to stay, wouldn't we? Uh, so that we have a good re- economic uh, relationship with them. But the picture that Jesus uses is, is the one that Richard has spoken uh, well about. Um, and you see that in verses 1 to 8 of this passage. Uh, just, you know, you know it. Jesus is the true vine, and his father is the gardener. And the disciples, that was talking to the disciples then, and indeed all Christians now, they are the ones who have been cleansed, interesting how he goes back and uses that metaphor from the previous chapters, um, and they now belong in the branches in verses 1 and 5. And of course, the purpose of the branch is to bear fruit, grapes in this particular case, and to continually do so. And as Richard was saying as well, the vine dresser, who is father, uh, continues to prune away at the branches. Those that are fruitfully prunes, and uh, those that he, um, uh, you know, that are dead, he removes. I thought it was fascinating just the idea that the boys and girls struggled with the idea of pruning um, and that we needed to explain what that was. That, but that's uh, another story. And then if you look in verses 9 to 17, you'll see that, that and I think that's what I want to kind of leave with us as well. It's not, it's not just the image that we want to see here, but you see how he talks then about love and commands, and remaining, of course, because he's really saying this is a picture, not just in a sense of a vine, but of a relationship, a relationship with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and it's characterized by love. Look at verse 9, and it's personal, isn't it? Look, I just love this little bit. Now remain in my love, and he speaks of joy, doesn't he? And then he, in verse 11, he speaks of my joy, And he speaks of friendship in verse 14, and he talks about my friendship, my friends. And then, of course, so this is a personal, loving, joyful, friendly relationship with God through Jesus. And the purpose, as we'll see in verse 16, is to therefore go and bear fruit. And the purpose of remaining is strong and committed Uh, through Jesus, by the Holy Spirit. And the idea, of course, is that the fruit would be delicious and nutritious and that others would honor the gardener. That's what it talks about, glorifying the Father and come into relationship through Jesus. The purpose is not self-centered, but other people. It's actually missional. And if I had to rename this, I would rename it fruitful and missional. So in summary, The lesson from Jesus today is about being in relationship with him and how to remain in relationship, resulting in fruitfulness. And this is very practical and affects our character as Jesus, via the Holy Spirit, remains in us, verse 4 and verse 5, and it determines how we are to live, verse 13, in self-giving service for others. It's a good life. It's a fruitful life. It's a life full of love and joy lived out, not in the confines of the church alone, but in everyday life. I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So in in terms of thinking about this, folks, um, and I'm going to skip this, but you need to understand that this has not come out of the blue. What I've been saying here is exactly what God has been saying through the Old Testament. He chose Israel. He tended Israel. He gave them laws. He gave them prophets. He he wooed them, as it were, so that they would be a people that other people would look at and say, that's a good way to live. And uh, therefore, they would want to know more about 
that I've been reading the story of Joseph and just the care uh, that God took over Joseph. And yet, the problem is, of course, that the vineyard overall was a disappointment. When you read the Old Testament, their religion was really, it was just tradition. It didn't seem to mean a great deal in their hearts. In fact, at times, God was angry with them because of the way that they dealt with others. They exploited them. They took advantage of them. They didn't live with truth and mercy and justice, as he says. And there was a lot of immorality, wasn't there? They intermarried with others. They, they, they broke God's laws. And they just lived in a way that was contrary to what God wanted. And actually, in the end, God removed the hedge, as he says. He took it away. And he stopped the rain falling. You can read about that in the prophets, particularly Isaiah 5. Um, and it didn't produce any grapes. And actually, that's where we've come to in the story. Jesus told this parable in, in Luke chapter 20. And he talked about the vineyard and God sending people. And yet the people attacked them and killed them. And at this very moment, in, in 24 hours' time, they are about to kill the son of the vineyard, the owner of the vineyard. They're about to stoop to their lowest, aren't they? And it's history. It's real. This is happening in Roman times. The Roman governor was Pontius Pilate. And Jesus is very aware of that. And so he summarized, in a sense, the whole of Old Testament history about the vineyard. And then he says in verse 1, I am the true vine. It's absolutely remarkable. The whole of history to this very moment in time. And he's saying God has not abandoned his plan of salvation and of producing good grapes so that people would see the benefit of a relationship with him for his glory. But he wasn't going to do it through the nation of Israel. They were not the true vine. And Jesus is the true vine. And folks, it's vital that we grasp this and that we understand not only what God was doing, but why. Why did he have to do this? And the reality was that the Israelites were a disappointment. They were not able to do what God wanted them to do, and that was because of sinful nature. They just were unable to keep his laws. They were unable to do what he wanted. And so they were condemned in that sense. And that's the reality for each of us. Every human being is weakened by the sinful nature. And so a new reality had to be created. A new, a man rooted in God, to use our metaphor, says, I am the true vine. We are unable to express the character of God, and we can only do so when we are in God, and we remain in him, and we follow his commands. And Jesus was the one who did that perfectly. That's why he says he's the true vine. And so we belong to him when we're regenerated by the Holy Spirit, washed and cleansed. And it's as where it's his life, the sap of his life, as it were, who flows through us, producing the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. God has provided a wonderful way of making himself known in the world, and it's you and me in the church. And therefore, verse 4, it's essential that we remain in him. This is the big story. This is the big reality. And that's what Jesus says, I am the true vine. So I want us then just to move on quickly and to look at how do we remain. So when I was young, I got a chemistry set. And I, as I've written here, I was probably the one. There was always somebody who had a chemistry set. I was the guy who had a chemistry set. Those of you who might know me might think, well, that's not too un unusual in that sense. And one of the successes I had, I had two successes, stink bombs and crystals. And I was actually able to grow crystals. They were purple, which I think is a potassium type of thing in some way. But to grow a crystal, this is what you need. You dip a seed in a solution that's very concentrated. And I'm sure there's terms for that that I've forgotten. And so the crystal grows by immersion. 
And that is what we think is how, it's often how we think Christians grow. We encourage people to be in church. We encourage them to get involved. We encourage them to serve and to do many good things. And you see them grow in this Christian reality. And I do not deny that it often appears to be working. Folks are involved and committed. But the problem is that when the pressure comes, when the heat is on, that, and they're lifted out, as it were, of the concentrated solution, that they disappear because it has never been in their hearts. Now, this heat can come in all sorts of ways. It can be often through hardship and suffering, but it can also be through success. It can be because things are going well for us that we think we don't need God any longer. It can be because of all the choices that we have to make, good choices. And in horticultural terms, it's because either there's a famine or because we're in a greenhouse and other things are growing around us and we get choked. Jesus knew exactly what he was talking about when he talked in the parable of the sower. If a plant has no root or is being choked, the weeds, the plant has nothing to sustain it and it dies. Father, how, how many of us know our own children, people who were once part of this church, who have drifted due to boyfriends, girlfriends, family, peer pressure, careers, sport, multiple choices of a myriad of good things, temptations, conflicts with others, or because they simply disagree with what Jesus teaches in his word. And no matter how good the church is, no matter how warm the fellowship, they will not sustain and they will not stay because that's not how we remain. We will never do it because at the heart, our hearts are not for Jesus. So remaining is not about being around other Christians, keeping Christian company, or coming into and helping in church. That is a good thing, but it's not really what we're after. No, it's about having a connection with Jesus, having his life flow through us, being connected to the vine, and that happens by hearing and responding in faith to his word. I didn't want to spend a long time in this, but if you've got your Bibles there, if you just look quickly at verse 3, how do we become Christians? We become Christians by hearing the word. That picture picks up the, the picture from last time of washing. Ephesians 5, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. In verse 4, we're given some responsibility to remain, but note it's within. Theologically, it's called union with Christ. And chapter 14 was all about having the Holy Spirit within us. And verse 7, the link with the word of God, my words remain in you. How do we remain is the question we're trying to answer. And we remain if my words remain in you. That's what this is all about. And it's a fascinating idea, isn't it? Absolutely fascinating. It's more than memorization of Scripture. It's more than knowing the Bible. It's more than remembering the Bible. So how does it work in practice? So let's, let's, let's imagine for a moment, and this is not someone in this church, by the way, but this is someone that I met this week. They're feeling awful. They are unable to do their work. They've been out of work for months and they're tempted to believe that God doesn't care and that he's not in the situation. But their testimony is that God has spoken to them by these verses. Humble yourselves, therefore under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. They cannot work, but they hear the word of God saying, Humble yourselves, and I will lift you up in due time. First Peter 5, verse 6. 
they testified to hearing the birds sing for the first time in a long time. Not that the birds haven't been singing. And God took them to this verse. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And that's within. And that's what sustains them. And I want you to note this, and I want you to note it well, because the circumstances have not changed. The illness is just as severe. The tiredness is real. The opposition that comes, whatever your circumstances are, the way that you will remain is when his words remain in you. Because it's personal. It's Jesus telling you what he wants you to know. It's how he strengthens you and nourishes you. And he's, he's keen for us to see that this is not mechanical. That's why he goes to 9 to 17 as well. It's not just mechanical. And so you can see it's important, yes, to read your Bible. It's important in Bible, to have Bible knowledge and Bible study. But folks, it's more important that you remember and that you apply what God has been teaching you as well. Because it confirms our personal knowledge of God, his character and work, and the hope we have in him. How do we remain? We remain when his words remain in us. It's vital. And that's what he says in this passage. And lastly, I want to look at the purpose of remaining. The purpose of remaining, of course, is to bear fruit. Um, I picked these from my own garden, the, one, the things that worked. I had no apples this year, by the way. But we had pears from our pear tree. We had blackcurrants from our blackcurrant bushes. So what does a Christian bear? A Christian bears other Christians. It produces the fruit of, of Christ in their lives and other Christians. Verses 8 and 16. And I just want to focus on verse 16. It's all that I'm going to do today is to look at this. So this is my HB bottle. Um, I used to say H, but now I say H. Um, you know, so, but it's not about the sauce. It's about the uh, idea behind it. If you look at verse 16, um, he's saying there that we are chosen and appointed. Now, I read this actually, I got this out of our thing, and if you look at the top part of that as well, and you probably know this, it says there, by appointment to Her Majesty the Queen, purveyors, look that up, means kind of supply, of Heinz products, H.J. Heinz Foods Limited, UK. That's important for them. That's why they put it on their bottle. And why is that important? Because it gives them royal approval to actually produce brown sauce. And therefore, that is something that they have been given to do. And Jesus says to us, by the way, he, that's what he's saying to us in this here. He's saying, I give you royal approval I'm the keen to go and bear fruit, to be involved in evangelism. It's a task in which you have security of position and appointment to do so. Yes, HP sauce is brilliant. The task that Heinz have is good. But the task that we have been given is greater and better. What does it say? We are to produce fruit that will last we are in the business of seeing men and women saved for eternity. That is what we are about. And we have been given royal approval. We have been chosen and we have been appointed to go and do it. It's amazing. And yet it still doesn't make it easy. If there's one thing that scares me more than anything else, it is evangelism. And that is why Jesus is not unfeeling. He doesn't, he knows it's hard. So what does he say? 
then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Here is a promise that if you desire to go and bear fruit, God will help you and give you whatever you need. The task of making disciples is important, and it's in his heart. So we need to ask prayer for God's help. You will never, ever be able to do evangelism or speak to others without prayer. You will not naturally want to reach across that boundary or that divide that you feel. It will not happen unless you are in constant contact with God. And so I just want to practically to, to give us some ideas behind that. And it struck me uh, this week, I'm going to speak about Halloween. Uh, Jesus is the light. Halloween is a celebration of the dark. It's happened in my street. Um, that's, they're already happened. There are, there are skeletons and witches and all these things appearing in my street. We have been, some of the members, the boys and girls are putting these together as we speak. Could each of us, and I mean each of us, take two or three or five of these, sign up to take them and want to give them to people in our street who call to our doors, family and friends, and say, I'm not against what you're doing, but I want to give you this. And surely that's in keeping with the desire here to go and to bear fruit, to shine the light in the darkness. And if we find it difficult, let's pray. That's one idea. I saw this in the context um, this week as well, um, simple idea. Um, I saw a grandchild who wanted a story read. And in that place, there was a Bible sitting on the, on the table. And I thought it would be lovely, wouldn't it, for the grand person to take the Bible and to just read it to the child and to choose to read them the story and to teach them the lessons of faith because we want to bear fruit. We want to see Jesus in their lives. And that's just two ideas that came to me this week. And there are numerous others. Some of you will be, gifts, will be gifted in evangelism. Some of you will be scared like me. But really, one of the things that we've been wrestling with in Adelaide Road is the idea of intentionality. We've been trying to work this into our ministries. We've been thinking about what does it mean to intentionally speak of Jesus in what we do, in International Cafe, in Caterpillar Kids, and in the things that we do. And I think this gives us a mandate. We're appointed, and we have help, and we are to go and to bear fruit. And lastly, we will not find it easy, but in verse 16, verse 17, we find that we do that in the context, not of individuals, but of a church that prays and wants to do this. I think that's all that I have there. Is there one more? Yeah, be intentional. So what is the purpose? How do we remain? We remain by having the Word of God in our hearts and believing it. And what is the purpose of that? Is that we might bear fruit in evangelism, that we might see men and women boys and girls, come to faith in Jesus Christ and be saved for eternity. That's what God asks of us. So let's worship him as we give our offering and as we sing together, All I Once Held Dear. Thank you. Well, Graham's going to come and lead us in prayers for others, but um, I wanted to let you know that uh, sadly this morning uh, that Jonathan Mitchell um, died and passed into eternity um, and uh, our heartfelt um, our sympathies go to Doris, of course, his grandmother, um, and to David and to Dorothy, uh, his father and his mother, and his uh, brother uh, Matthew. Uh, Jonathan grew up in this church. Uh, went to Sunday Special and the youth group um, and uh, then married a girl in Sweden and has been over there for two and a half years. He was 29 years of age. 
So I know that it's been tough for Doris, and I know it's been tough for others who have lost loved ones, and so we want to come, and Graham's going to lead us in prayer at this time. Let us pray. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Father God, we pray for this congregation and its members, and especially this morning we pray for our dear and beloved sister Doris in this time of grief and mourning. We pray for David and Dorothy, we pray for Tuva, Jonathan's wife, and we pray for all the Mitchell family and for all friends of Jonathan. Father God, we pray that through our sister Doris, you will, uh, through our sister Doris, you will bring comfort to that family and to others, and we pray that you will sustain her in these days. Father God, we pray for our guardian, Marcos, um, currently in Brazil following the funeral of his father. Father God, we commit Marcos to your care during his travel back to Dublin, and we pray for him and all his family in their time of grief, and we pray for Alini here with us this morning. Father God, there are many in this congregation who are ill. There are many who have anxieties and concerns of all kinds. There are many who face difficulties, from carers to parents of very young children. And Father God, we want to be ambassadors and witnesses of your love. So Father God, we pray for the person sitting to the left of us. We pray for the person sitting to the right of us. We pray for the person sitting in front of us. We pray for the person sitting behind us. We remember those in the crash and in Sunday school downstairs. Father God, we pray for the family here before you, asking that you would bless us each one in our own circumstances and those we love and pray for. Father God, we pray for our minister Sam and Karen. We pray for Peter, Andrew, and David. We remember our mission worker, David. We remember our intern, Katie, and we pray for all in positions of leadership and responsibility, that you would bless them, that you would guide them, that you would give them encouragement, that you would sustain them, that you would give them wisdom in all their areas of activity and responsibility. Father God, we pray that you would bless this church according to your good and perfect will. Father God, we also remember our brother and sister Heather and Alan in Spain thanking you, Lord God, for the successful event they held recently in the Big Sing. And we remember Anne and Ken as they visit. And we particularly remember Anne Galander's mother following a fall and fracture. Father God, we also want to remember your church around the world. We pray for the church in the Middle East in particular, thinking of our brothers and sisters in Iraq and Iran, in Lebanon, in Israel and Palestine. And especially this morning, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Syria. Father God, word reaches us of tens of thousands of Christians fleeing their homes from fighting, from fear, and in fear of persecution because of their faith. Father God, we pray for the bravery of the pastors who provide leadership to their congregations we ask that you would sustain them in this time of most severe trial. We pray for protection for all those caught up in the fighting, and we pray for church workers, for their wisdom to know how to reach out to those who need your help. And we pray for the future of the church in Syria, not just that it would survive, but Father God, that it would be a light in these dark times. Father, committing all these things to your care, we remember your holy word. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
Amen. Well, folks, let's conclude our service by singing uh, All in All. And uh, we're really seeking, uh, I think, our help in the Lord. So let's stand to sing this song together. Well, let's say these words together. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen. Just to remind you that teas and coffees are upstairs today. <laughs>